0: All right, it's another Thursday episode and today we are going to be giving our thoughts, opinions on a proposal to scrap ISIS, which is a bit worrying. We're going to also talk about a proposal to publish limited companies. If you've got a limited company, you need to listen to this bit, in my opinion. And I think we're also going to ditch into the slightly murky world, allegedly, of Nadim Zahawi's counts. And Ed's going to give his kind of opinion on that because... I used to be your kind of client, high net worth individuals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was my January. We spent entirely doing tax returns for high net worth individuals. So, yeah, let's talk about that.
0: Mate, it's so good to see you, but I'm slightly sad that we're recording. We're testing out some new software as well. We love just testing new things. So, we'll see how that goes. But well, we've had a flat out Medics Money. Day. I feel like <laughs> I've almost d- done like a day of doctoring today after Medics Money. It's been so flat out that unfortunately, even though you live about 20 minutes from my house, we're recording remotely but that's just the way it goes so where do you want to start mate should we start with the company's house thing because i saw yeah, this course. well you read really boring accountancy magazines so that i and the listeners don't have to but most of the stuff you tell me is of interest to a very limited amount of people if that's not too offensive but this should interest a lot yeah. of people what is this about and then when's it happening
1: yeah so basically this is really going to be very important for anyone who either has a company at the moment is trading via a company or intends to trade for a company but it's also quite useful information anyway for the general public to be honest so it's all about companies house reform okay so currently part two of the very snappily titled economic crime and corporate transparency bill is working its way through parliament okay and it's setting out quite extensive provisions to reform companies house the first part through the economic crime side of things that was actually fast-tracked in march 2022 in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine but that left the second part through corporate transparency still to be enacted and as part of this there are plans to enhance the powers given to Companies House and to improve the quality and value of financial information on their register so I'm sure you guys know if you go to the Companies House website you can find information on any company that's registered with them okay and as part of that We thought it'd be useful to advise the listeners about a key proposed change that's going to affect everyone. As I say, trades borrow company is thinking about doing it, but also, you know, it's useful to know. Okay, so as a small amount of background, companies are classified in the legislation, the Companies Act two thousand and six, based on their size. Okay, the smaller the company, the fewer filing requirements at Companies House that they have, and so small or micro companies they can file much shorter or abridged accounts. Okay, so. A small company, just out have interest, for example, they've got two of two of the following, or any two of the following, a turnover of less than £10.2 million, a balance sheet with less than £5.1 in assets on it, and 50 employees or less. Okay, so you've got two of those three, you're deemed to be a small company, and micro-companies are even smaller than that. So if you think about it, that's going to cover a lot of companies on there, okay? Now, these companies, these entities, they don't have to file a PL at the moment, or What's called a director's report. So, all they have to do right now is it all, but they've got to file a simple balance sheet, no profit and loss account, no director's report. And for those of you who have no idea what a director's report is, just have to say, a director's report names all the directors, explains the principal activities of the company in the year, and also states the amount of dividend that, that the directors recommend. And you, you know, you may if any of you guys read any accounts, you may see in the director's report other things about how they're engaging with their employees or their environmental policy and things like that, okay? Now, what this new bill is doing is it's basically gonna require small companies to file both their profit and loss account and a director's report. And micro companies, the really small companies, they will be required to file a PL as well, profit and loss account as well, although they don't have to do a director's report, okay? So the thing to say is if, you're, if you do have a company right now as I say, when you're thinking about trading via a company in the future, bear in mind that at some point in the future, your filing requirements are going to increase and you will, no matter how small your company, you will need to file at least a profit loss account along your balance sheet, perhaps a director's report as well. And all of this is expected to obtain royal assent in the spring, although we don't know when the elements are going to come into force. OK, so it may not be that all of these things come into the force straight away. There may be some sort of delay in when they come into account, but it's expected that spring is when the bill will be passed.
0: Right, mate, that was a great explanation. So this is big, right? Because if you're trading, if you're a consultant doing private work or anyone doing private work or whatever, at the moment, you definitely would fall under those requirements you know unless you're absolutely smashing it if you're a private consultant with a turnover of 10.2 million pounds or more uh, come on the pod tell us how you did it but you know at the moment yeah. your profit and loss will be private you know only you and your accountant will see it once this goes through everyone's going to be able to see it your patients your you know other yeah. businesses are going to be i mean this is big i'm not sure why this isn't more in the news but luckily you're tuning into the medics money podcast or watching yeah. us on youtube i've got a five yeah. o'clock shadow already even though it's not five o'clock and i don't know what's going on there but i get a five o'clock shadow at nine
1: o'clock in the morning yeah it is really big and you're right <laughs> i don't think i've seen it anywhere in the news i've seen it only because of an email i got from the institute of child accountants because i'm still an accountant that was in november time mentioning this so that's the only reason i know about it in terms of you know keeping up to date is i don't think anywhere it's been in the news and it is quite big it really is
0: yeah, yeah. It's gonna be fascinating in many ways.
1: Yeah. I just thought there was way more to the app than this, by the way, but this is the real the only key thing I could find in there that's gonna really make a difference right now to our
0: listeners and viewers. I'm so glad that you read those things so that I don't <laughs> yeah. have to. I might
1: just forward them on to you, you know, maybe we share the share the burden, you know. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. be a bit how like
0: I, that I, copy I... of the BMJ that I used when I was at your house last time to support the microphone. The BMJ really? was, I'm afraid to report to you listeners, the BMJ was in its wrapper. Yeah, well, you never know.
1: Maybe later on down the line, I read it, but let's move on and discuss what else was in the news recently.
0: Yeah, so we're going on. I want to keep it productive for as long as we can before <laughs> we get into the murky world of, yeah. So let's go ISOs, man, because I think this is kite flying. It may or may not happen, but. This is something that's been muted many times. That basically there's a proposal or think tank has come out, Resolution Foundation, who actually we normally like their stuff because they do great stuff on the marginal tax rate, which is yeah. great. And they're basically saying that the UK has a savings problem, especially amongst, you know, people with less money. And the obvious solution to that is to stop the tax-free benefits of ISAs. But for our listeners that aren't like fully up to speed, give us a like lowdown on ISAs because we love ISAs uh, and hopefully they don't go away. But what is it t- talking through an ISA?
1: Yeah, so that's so absolutely... So they were launched in uh, 1999 under sort of Tony Blair, Gordon Brown. In those days, I was, actually, I was still at university the first time around, so uh, they came in just before I started training. But they... Initially, there were loads and loads of different schemes. They had things called PEPs, they had things called Tessers, They had loads of things that were tax-free savings account, and the whole thing was a mess. So what the Labour government did was they combined everything all together in one thing called an ISA. And they're very popular. They basically enable investors to receive tax-free dividends and tax-free and capital growth. There's no capital gains tax, no income tax. They're really valuable. And that's going to be even more valuable from April 2023 because a lot of our listeners and viewers will know that from April 2023, the government are cutting the tax-free dividend allowance and the capital gains tax allowance. They're both being cut in half and then being cut in half again the following year. Okay, so that makes ISAs even more valuable. And it's estimated, I think this came from the Financial Times, I read this, there are around 27 million ISAs out there. And apparently, at the moment, 12 million people are contributing towards them. There are also apparently 2,000 ISA millionaires, apparently, who can generate quite significant tax-free income, free dividends, for example, and they don't have to pay any tax and they don't have to declare that on their tax returns. So there's a growing call for ISIS to be reformed. And given the state of the public's finances, we already have the highest tax burden since the Second World War. You know, it really may be an area that the government look at. And you mentioned to me about a recent report by the Resolution Foundation. Absolutely. They found that the UK has a significant savings problem. We have the worst savings rate in the whole of the G7. What they found was our main vehicle for trying to promote saving, which is these ISAs, those advantages, they really mainly flow to the already wealthy. So 41% of the money that the government loses in foregone tax revenue, 41% of that, that goes to the richest 10% of households. And they apparently also hold 29% of the total cash in ISAs as well. So. According to this report, and I'm going to quote this bit, I've got it on my screen to read it. Taken together, the richest tenth of households are set to gain just under £800 on average. And it goes on to say that this is around 20 times the gains received by the poorest tenth of households, which is £38. So you can see that potentially that might be a good way for the government to, uh, A, save some tax revenue by limiting the amount that people can invest in ISIS, or even, I'm sure they wouldn't do, but even scrapping them all together and then trying to target savings or trying to target lower paid workers and getting them to save more through some other special scheme that they might invent. And that's the thats a potential out there. So as Tommy said, this is quite fine. Who knows? This has just been in the news, all the papers about the idea that maybe ISIS needs to be reformed. And who knows? The government may run with that.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of that I agree with in here. You know, it's it, we do need to encourage those who are not saving to start regular saving and so I agree with that bit I'm just it's just a bit of kind of um, <laughs> declaration of interest I have some money in ISAs I love ISAs I am just not sure like everyone agrees that we need to help those that are struggling the most to save and that would be amazing I'm just not sure by taking away benefits from I guess we're talking about wealthy people aren't we yeah. that's gonna necessarily i think we might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater here but i have yeah. a slight bias what do you think <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i've talked about this before in terms of i do have some ISOs, but i don't have huge amounts in there i'm always keen to uh, my sort of future goal my news resolutions are always to try and put extra money in them where i can i agree i think first of all if they did anything to change this it's going to cause a lot of admin cost and burden so you know at the moment this is simple isn't it you know literally anyone Any UK taxpayer or whoever it is, anyone over 18, I think it is, can set up an ISA. You know, that's it, really. So nice and simple. So if they try and reform it, they're going to have to utilize, you know, try to work out a way to police that, to try and minimize the admin burden that's going to arise. And as you say, you know, we have a savings problem in general. Is it the right thing to do to punish people that are saving? Well, I don't think it is. I guess they're already wealthy, okay, or some of them anyway, you know, according to this. But, yeah, I agree. I don't think they should touch this. And I actually don't think they will because I don't think I think it'd be so politically unpopular and the government already getting a lot of criticism for the tax rate burden at the moment from their own party I think they'll struggle to justify this but then you know 2,000 people who are millionaires yeah apparently you know if you think about it, if, you've got, if you've got a million pounds in ISIS, you might be able to get a 40k in income tax-free which you know when you're already rich but
0: yeah. Yeah, talking about millionaires avoiding tax does that not lead us neatly on to our next story and normally we try and stay out of this kind of stuff because it's not it's not really our style it's not really our scene but you do have a unique insight here because as i said in your former life you used to process the tax returns of high net worth individuals and some people say oh you're you're a bit political on the podcast or whatever well with the current government it is literally like shooting fish in a barrel right because this is just outrageously ridiculous but you're going to give us a balanced impartial opinion i cannot believe that this is not getting more airtime but hey it's going to get some airtime now and some insight from someone who actually understands uh, whether this could, you know, I accidentally forgot about the twenty-seven million that I got. So, give us the basics and some balance. You know what?
1: I don't. it may come across this way, but you know, actually, genuinely, this isn't meant to be particularly political. Okay, that's you know, it's definitely not not my style to be political. It's you know, what you guys believe in your politics is not up to me. But let's just go through what it was about, okay? But also try and draw on this as a kind of a learning point as well, okay? So, you should all know. I, I really, you know. Well, the vast majority of you guys should know that we're coming up to the deadline for self-assessment. Okay. So the le- so learning point is this, you know, if you need to file a tax return for the tax year ending fifth of April twenty twenty two, then you know, you've got to make sure that you file your tax return before or technically on the deadline, which is thirty first of January twenty twenty three.
0: Okay. The reason Ed knows that you can file on the deadline, by the way, is because <laughs> he does file on the deadline. So not recommended, well, but have you filed it yet, just, mate? Of course. That's
1: as slanderous as it is true. Disgraceful. No, I haven't filed <laughs> one yet. All my dad's yet. But I can't be blamed. i you know, things. So that's the job for this weekend. Okay. So a few days before the deadline. But for you guys who are sensible, unlike me, you know, definitely get in there before the 31st of January, okay? If you don't, you know, it's worth saying that there are penalties for late filing and late payment okay so you'll pay a late filing penalty of 100 pounds if your tax return is up to three months late you have to pay more if it's even later than that or if you actually pay your tax bill late you'll get a penalty there as well and you'll be charged interest on late payments but currently the interest rate if you don't uh, pay your tax on time they're going to you an interest rate of six percent pa which is interesting because if you are owed money by hmrc the rate they'll give you back is 2.5 percent per annum. so you know slightly mean there but that's just how it rolls okay but The reason for mentioning that is to say that uh, you know in the news as you've just alluded to you know people may be aware that there's another type of penalty out there to do your tax returns which is a penalty if a mistake is made okay so if you send in a document let's say a tax return that has a mistake hmrc will charge a penalty if the error is one of three things either because of a lack of reasonable care so you're careless or it's deliberate, you've intentionally sent incorrect information, or while still it's deliberate and you try and conceal the fact that you've sent in incorrect information, you try and hide the error, okay? And the level of penalty that they would charge is linked to the reason why the error occurred, okay? So the more serious, as you might imagine, the higher the maximum penalty can be. And they put discretion to reduce the penalty if you help them put things right, okay? As a really small aside, a very tiny bit of tax trivia, when I was training, we still had the inner revenue, customs and excise and Gordon Brown decided it'd be good idea to merge the two and now at the time they had different types of penalty regimes the VAT penalty regime was really strict really hideous and you know VAT inspectors allegedly had more powers than the police to rock up and search your home and your businesses the inner revenue for some reason had far fewer powers okay but when they merged the two funnily enough they equalized all the penalties and etc at the higher level with the VAT inspectors so from that moment on, the end of revenue or
0: now HMRC got extra
1: powers to impose penalties. Okay, so
0: hey, sorry, that was more oh, tax yeah. trivia. It wasn't of the Jaffa Cakes level. That was <laughs> well, amazing, English but be. that was just incredible tax knowledge. It's not even in the script. You sprung that on me. I loved it. Like excellent knowledge, depth of knowledge, oh, yeah. man. You're showing yeah, your so, age yeah. a bit though, because you said when you trained and then 1999, I, I think as well. So it's a little well, bit
1: yeah. I was like training 2000 odds, 2001. But yeah, so I am getting old. It's true with the grey hair, and if you're
0: watching on YouTube, silver, mate.
1: Yeah, it's like silver, absolutely. You know, salt and pepper. So the yeah, the penalty if you're careless and you know they decide that you're not taking reasonable care, they can charge a penalty between 0% and 30% of the extra tax due. Okay. And that's much higher if the error is deliberate or deliberate and you hide things from them. And as I say, they can then reduce that if they want to, if they think you're being helpful. Okay. So what has happened in the news? Okay. So the reason why it's in the news at the moment is, of course, that the chairman of the Tory party, Nadim Zahawi, has been fined for an error that we are told HMRC have deemed to be careless. And it's A little bit complicated. We don't know the full details. This is essentially an individual taxpayer and their relationship with HMRC. And unless HMRC reveal the details, which they're not going to, of course, or Mrs. Sahawi lets us know exactly what's going on, we're never going to know the full details. Okay, But it seems to be connected to a company that he co-founded in 2000, quite a famous polling company actually called YouGov. So if you ever see the opinion polls and the news of who's voting Labour, Tory, etc, often they're YouGov polls. And when it was founded, YouGov allocated 42.5% of its shares to a company registered in Gibraltar called Belshaw, which has been described as a family trust in, in their annual reports. And. He did, he denies any involvement with Belshaw. It seems, from what I can gather, that it was to do with his dad. So his dad got founder shares in his company in exchange for some capital and some invaluable guidance, is how Mr Zahawi put it. And then when Mr. Zahawi became chancellor last year, if you remember very briefly, he was chancellor when uh, Boris Johnson was facing the end of his government before his Truss uh, came in. So he reported, because he was chancellor, he reported that his tax affairs were under investigation by HMRC and he refused to give any details about it. But over the weekend, he did give further information. And it seems that the conclusion of the investigations, this is what uh, Mr. Zahari himself has said, is that HMRC agreed that his father, at the time when Newgob was founded, was entitled to found the shares. And then later on, by the way, these shares were sold, and that's where the tax has arisen. But they disagreed about how much those shares were worth or the exact allocation of the shares. And as I say, I've got to be a little, you know, I can't tell you exactly what's
0: going on because I don't
1: know exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah. And this is definitely, allegedly should precede all of this.
1: Yeah. This is all, allegedly all things that he himself have said. Okay. So, um, you know, these are things that I've got from what he said has happened as well. So it's his account, by the way. I'm not trying to embellish it in any way, shape or form, but it seems that he... Instead of a company called YouGov, he allocated 42.5% of the shares to a company registered in Gibraltar, which his dad seemed to have some involvement with, in exchange for his dad giving some money and some expertise. They were then sold, and there's a dispute about how much capital gains tax should be paid, it seems. Okay. HMRC agreed that he was entitled to some of those shares, the dad, that is, but they disagreed about the exact allocation. Mr. Zawi himself has said that HMRC concluded that he made an error that was careless And not deliberate, so you can see why that's important. Based on what they can do, is charging penalties. They charged a penalty, the maximum they can do for someone who's careless, which is thirty percent, which resulted in a payment of tax due, which has been estimated at three point seven million pounds, plus a thirty percent penalty, which takes it up to four point eight million, and then with interest, apparently it's an estimated total of five million pounds. So again, these are estimated. I don't think he's said anything about how much he's paid, and. HMRC are never going to do that because, just like for doctors, you know, they also treat everything as confidential as well.
0: Careless. Careless. Yeah. Good summary, mate.
1: Yeah. It's usually mainly about, you know, the allocation. Was the allocation correct? Has he been careless in overestimating the allocation to this, this company registered in Gibraltar? So, companies offshore, et cetera, you may be aware, usually don't have to pay as much tax as companies in the UK. I think that's fair to say as a broad statement. So, you know, this isn't about being. Political here okay so what is he, what's happened here well you can read it in several ways okay the first thing to say is you could say well this is a an agreement now between this is a and hmrc hmrc have concluded that there was an error in the affairs that was careless he hasn't deliberately concealed anything it all comes down to a dispute over how much money should be allocated to this offshore company versus what shouldn't have been and hmrc have agreed that more money is due and that's been settled you could say a bit more than that, of course, you could say, well, was there any attempts to, you know, obviously it's not, nothing's deliberate, but, you know, one of the problems that you get as a taxpayer and even as an accountant is, you know, sometimes the law isn't particularly, you know, clear on certain things. So you could say, well, he has allocated 42.5% of shares to a company in Gibraltar. Well, why is that? What's the substance behind that decision, you know? In terms of, you know, should he have actually allocated 42.5% of shares to his dad or to a UK company or all these things? You know, you could argue that in various ways he shouldn't have done what he did. But I guess it's very difficult for anyone to say he's done anything right or wrong without the full details. And that's why, you know, we're not going to be going into any sort of politics here. But, of course, his opponents, such as the Labour Party, have... Obviously, been making a hay while the sun shines. And there is an argument from the Labour Party that, you know, you've got a person in government who had unpaid tax whilst he was Chancellor. He was unpaid tax as a minister of the cabinet. Now he has paid that tax and he has paid a penalty, but obviously he's paid a substantial penalty. And and the Labour Party was saying as well, we don't really have the full details. So we have what we know from Mr. Sahawi, what he's told us, and where it all comes down to, a little bit. But you know, there's an issue here in that there's a lot outstanding as to what we know. So what else is going on? There's obviously the idea that we have a minister of the crown who has not paid his tax, although he has now, and a penalty. So it's all a bit of a minefield, really.
0: Yeah, mate. A great summary. Like, kept it really factual. I'm going to lower the tone by saying a recent YouGov poll found that 99% of responders thought that Mr. Zahawi had done nothing wrong. Of course, he owns YouGov. Or oh, he sold it now. But anyway, in, you know, when you were dealing with these high rollers, like, he's going to have an amazing accountant, like no doubt. And so everyone makes oh, mistakes, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. easily done. But do we think that, like, what's going on? Like, The accountant's made a mistake here? Or do you think that's even well, feasible as a defense?
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to say this. Okay, so I, you know, you're right. So I used to have lots of high-off individuals. Okay, now the thing is, as I say, there are areas where there's no set definitive law that tells you exactly what you should and shouldn't do. You know, imagine as a, a small example, imagine as another example. Imagine, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Bloggs decide to set up a company which is doing some sort of trading. but realistically, you know, Mr. Bloggs is, you know, does, well, let's say Mrs. Bloggs does all the work and Mr. Bloggs doesn't do very much at all. But they have an arrangement whereby, you know, 50% of any income goes to him and 50 to her. You know, do you say to yourself, well, actually, look at this. If she's doing all the work, surely she should be getting 90% of the income, not 50%, you know. So there are things where, you know, you can do things that aren't wrong, but you can make a call as to what's, you know, what the percentages are on who's doing what. Okay, so... You know, in this case, he's been advised by someone that he can allocate nearly 50% of his shares to an offshore company. And there probably almost certainly would have been some sort of legitimate argument for that. OK, so they almost certainly an accountant would have advised that and would have said, I think that's probably the maximum we can do without causing any problems. Now, see, it did cause problems and HMRC have disagreed. But the point is, with these things, you, sometimes you have to decide a percentage. You know, you have to decide, make a judgment call because nothing. There are very few things that are so clear cut that you can say exactly. You know what those percentages should be. So as I say, classic example: husband and wife working together, but you know, really, realistically, you're utilising one spouse's basic rate. You know, personal allowance because they don't work. You know, should that be fifty-fifty? Should that be a different percentage? Well. There's no clear-cut law that says it has to be X or Y. So you make a decision.
0: Yeah, and it's so good to get your expert insight. You know, this was your bread and butter for many years. So I think that's a really fair, balanced opinion. It's so hard to get a balanced opinion in the media because everything's become so polarised. Everything's clickbait. Everything's, you know, so polarised. So actually, you know, I think you've made some amazing points there. To say as well
1: that, you know, just to distinguish, I'm sure our listeners and viewers know this already, but just to distinguish between tax evasion and tax avoidance. So tax evasion is where you're deliberately, illegally not paying tax or hiding your income or over, you know, over your expenses. Tax avoidance is a well-established legal principle that every individual in the UK has the right to minimise their tax liability if they can do that in legal ways. So... These things, you know, there's no hint here that he's been doing anything that's evasive or illegal, okay? There's just a case of, you know, is that avoidance, you know, has he overdone it, basically? That's where we're at with this, I think. That's my view.
0: Yeah, great point. Most listeners to this podcast will be avoiding a lot of tax by paying into their NHS pension and maybe even using Mm. an ISA. You are avoiding tax.
1: And you're you're claiming your expenses, you're avoiding tax. Yeah, you're minimising your tax bill, that's what it is. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Final thing. Absolutely nothing to do with money, but a question that I'm getting a lot. And you mentioned this already. I think a lot of doctors have been holding out for labor to propose some kind of solution to the troubles that the NHS has at the moment. Okay. So everyone was waiting. I know I was like, just being honest. and then Wes streeting announced his plans and what and something that some people have been asking me a lot because i'm a gp partner one of Wes streetings amazing ideas to fix the nhs is to abolish gp partners and make all of us salaried so people have been saying what's your thoughts on this what's your thoughts on this so my thoughts are twofold i am in no way concerned about this as a proposal as a gp partner because if it happens and it won't but if it did it would just be so ridiculous but what does concern me more is that it's such a ridiculous proposal and it shows such a poor understanding of how primary care works in this country that it's got me a bit worried that labor are not going to be the sort of solution to the nhs that we are looking for and why is it ridiculous well i think it's ridiculous on many levels but one thing that is underestimated by Everyone, the NHS especially, is the goodwill of all of the staff, but nowhere more so than GP partners. Because as GP partners, we are private businesses who contract our services back to the NHS, and you know we are what's called an unlimited liability partnership, which means that if my business goes into, if your hospital goes into debt, right, and overspends by twenty million, not a problem. Usually, someone bails them out. If my GP practice overspends and goes into debt of twenty million. I'm in an unlimited liability partnership. Somebody comes and takes my assets, my house, my car, probably not worth much, but they can have it. But you get the point. And so we have skin in the game. It was in my interest to do a good job, to look after my patients as best that I can, give them the best possible care. And I have a ton of skin in that game. And that means, you know, that there's a lot of goodwill. We do a lot of work that nobody sees really. And I know everybody Then it just does that. And so I think he's massively underestimated GPs yet again. And this happens all the time. People underestimate GPs and the government have underestimated GPs in the past. And it's come back to massively bite them. So I'm going to give you a specific example, which maybe listeners aren't aware of. But back in 2004, the GP contract was renegotiated and the government said, look, we basically saying GPs, you don't do anything in your out-of-hours provision. So before that, GPs were responsible for their patients 24-7, did the out-of-hours, you know, traditional GP visiting at all times of the day or night. The government said, look, we don't really think you do much. We're going to give you £6,000 a year to do that, or you can opt out and give us £6,000 a year. And of course, all partners knew how much they were doing and said, thanks very much. We'll opt out and give you £6,000 a year. And I think, you know, that was a massive a massive underestimation of the goodwill of GP partners Mm -hmm. by the government. But they also did it again recently, okay? So the COVID vaccine rollout, okay, all the talk was about the max vaccination sites. They were on TV all the time, and they were saying how they were going to do all the vaccinations and save the world in general. And then guess what? GPs, or more specifically, our team, okay, because our team is amazing i'm talking our nurses our healthcare assistants i'm talking about the volunteers okay we just we weren't on tv but we just quietly immunized more than the vaccine sites okay and not only did we immunize more people we did it for less cost than the max mass vaccination sites. So, give you some numbers the government thought the GPs and their teams would do 55%. Okay. We actually did 71% of all vaccines given. And we did it for a cheaper cost. And that is important because at a mass vaccination site, you've got lines of young people generally who can drive the hundreds of miles that some people had to drive. And whereas the GPs were left to do the housebound patients, so I visited over 250 patients at their house to give them the vaccine, and yet we still did it cheaper. And we did it cheaper because a GP partnership model is an incredibly efficient business model. It works very well for the NHS, it works okay, I hope, for my patients, and... I think it works okay for me, but I might get back to you on that one. But nobody understands the goodwill that our teams, GPs and our whole teams have. So if Wes Street in wants to underestimate that again and make all of us salaried, I'll be delighted. I'll turn up for my contracted hours. And then when it's home time, I'll go home. And if my paperwork and my home visits and my administration and all the other things that I do in the background as a GP partner isn't done, they'll just have to hire somebody else to do it. But it's just gonna cost. Way more than they realised. It's going to be way less efficient than the partnership model. Exactly happened when they did that out of hours, and I think that's not been a success. And exactly like the vaccine rollout. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that policy. Pretty ranty, that.
1: <laughs> I think it's ranty, but I think it's justifiably ranty. It's a completely stupid idea at a time when the utterly, you know, the government's completely bankrupt financially, and they're now saying they're going to buy out. Well labour to buy out every partner it's going to cost billions of pounds and they're going to have to basically employ an army of managers to take over all the jobs that gb partners do and i'm not a gb partner
0: and it also affects us right now you know it's it's destabilizing general practice because you know people it's in the back of people's minds that might happen it's just so annoying to be like having you're doing your planning in public right So I hope that they do change the plan. You know, it's just annoying. I was going to, for balance, give my opinion on something from the Liberal Democrat Party, but I've literally not seen the Liberal Democrats for about two years. So I have nothing to comment on about what their policies are or anything. But... Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Have you seen any Liberal Democrats recently?
1: I've seen Liberal Democrat voters, because some of my friends are and whatever, but no. No actual MPs, politicians,
0: councillors no, in the press. No, no policies um, to scrutinise, either. No.
1: Next time the Lib Dems do a health policy thing, we will scrutinise it. Because it's not about any sort of political bias. You know, yeah, that's it. That's it. So, right, I think I've, I, there's only so much I can give in terms of the news. I think that Mate, it.
0: Mate, I've got to go get the kids. You've got to take yeah. your cat to the vet. I sincerely hope yeah. he's okay.
1: Yeah, he's just appeared, actually. He's been sleeping all day, but he's appeared for a stroke. So I'm going to catch no, him, looks nice. put him in his basket and uh, take him away. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you, mate.
0: Catch you it's later, buddy. Fine. Yeah, take care, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye.